Welcome to Parents Perspective. Twins Jack Yuffie and Oscar Stror, born in Port of Spain, Trinidad in 1933, were separated when they were six months of age when their parents' relationship failed. Jack was raised Jewish by his father in Trinidad, while Oscar was raised Catholic by his mother in Nazi Germany. Twin Laura Laster was three months old when she was adopted from South Korea by an American couple living in Washington, D.C. Nora, as a 19-year-old college sophomore, began searching for her biological family. Her adoption papers indicated that she had two older siblings, but there was no mention of a twin. Nora contacted the agency in Korea and later received an email message telling her that she was from a family of four children, two daughters, and twins. She was puzzled and wondered if she was a fifth child, but reading further, she learned she was one of the twins. These excerpts are from today's guest book, Someone Else's Twin. From a parent's perspective, what should we know about twins, siblings, and family relationships? I'm Sandy Burt. And I'm Linda Perlis. Our guest has been doing research into what happens in families when children are switched at birth. Dr. Nancy Siegel is professor of psychology and director of the Twin Studies Center at California State University. In addition to her most recent book, Someone Else's Twin, The True Story of Babies Switched at Birth, Dr. Siegel is the author of Indivisible by Two, Lives of Extraordinary Twins and Entwined Lives, Twins and What They Tell Us About Human Behavior. She is also senior editor of Uniting Psychology and Biology, Integrative Perspectives on Human Development. Welcome to Parents Perspective, Dr. Siegel. Thank you so much, Sandy and Linda. It's such a pleasure to be here. In researching twins that have been switched as infants into non-related families, what was your most surprising discovery? In terms of my most surprising discovery, it had to be when I learned just how many switches of babies or misplacements of babies occur in the United States each year. Two independent medical outfits have estimated that 20,000 misplacements of babies occur every year in U.S. hospitals. Of course, most of these are corrected, but you have to imagine that not all of them are, which means that for every misplacement, two families are raising the wrong baby. Now, in terms of the Canary Islands twins who were switched at birth and the other families that I was made aware of, I must say that this is an effect that is so profound and so deep. This did not surprise me. It's what I expected. It's the families who planned these children, wanted these children, and were deprived of really raising their own babies. On the other hand, they felt tremendous love for the children they raised. But the idea that a careless mistake on the part of hospital personnel deprived them of raising a baby that was their own is something that they never got over. And it extended to not just the twins, but to their brothers and sisters as well, because they too were deprived of a rearing with a brother or sister that was really theirs. I picture the little band that's on the baby's hand and on the mother's hand. I watched my daughters-in-law be checked whenever the baby was taken out of the room or brought back in. Well, I think that parents need to be vigilant on this, and it's good that you did that. Identification bracelets can slip off. Anytime there is human error involved, you have to wonder. Now, the twins in the Canary Islands, which is really the focus of this book, were born in a very crowded nursery in Las Palmas in the Canary Islands. There were 60 babies under the care of only two nurses. 
and the twins and the single child were born very close in time. They think that what happened was that the nurse took one of the twins for a medical procedure, brought her back to the wrong place, causing an unrelated pair of babies to go home with the twins' parents and the single twin to go home with a family that had really given birth to the single baby. And they did not discover this until the girls were 28 years old. Oh, my. Did you get the feeling that any of the parents involved, like those parents and the other ones you studied, suspected maybe that the children that they were rearing were not biologically related? The families never suspected that the babies they were raising were not their own. However, every family was very, very much aware that the child they were given did not look like the rest of the family. The mother of the twins received one of her girls, but she received another girl who was much darker in skin tone and in hair color than anyone in her family. And she rationalized that there had been some intermarriage on her husband's part, always blaming the husband, (laughs) who brought in these different genes. And the other family, who had given birth to the single child but was now raising one of the twins, noticed how fair this baby was. And again, the mother said, well, it was probably something in my husband's family that is explaining this. But the families never, never suspected that they had been given the wrong child. For the most part, were the sets of twins you interviewed more like each other or more like the families they were raised in? I've only studied seven such cases, and... I've only studied three or four of them up close. But among those, and from what I've read about the other cases, the separated identical twins are much more alike in many, many ways than they are to the unrelated siblings who were their alleged twins in appearance, in behavior, in mental ability. And this does not surprise me at all. You know, I worked for nine years on the Minnesota study of Twins Raised Apart, where twins are reunited and put through very intensive, week-long psychological and medical assessments. And we were just so struck by the consistent similarities across the identical Twins Raised Apart. What's really kind of counterintuitive but true is that identical Twins Raised Apart are more like each other than anyone in their families, but they are as alike as twins raised together. So it's not that the common rearing underlies the similarity, it's the common genes. Identical twins are not perfectly alike, and the two in my book, Delia and Begonia, were not replicas either. There were some definite differences. One of the more profound ones, in fact, was that Delia, the identical twin raised alone in the wrong family, developed leukemia when she was 16, and she was unable to find a suitable bone marrow donor because her parents and her two sisters were unrelated to her. Little did she know that just across the island, there was a perfect donor for her, but Begonia never developed the condition. So that's a perfect example of how identical twins, despite their identical genes, sometimes don't develop in sync in every single way. We've never had twins in my family, so I don't have personal experience. But when twins are born, is it clear that they are identical or fraternal right from the beginning? Is there some way that's checked in a hospital? Unfortunately, when twins are born, it's not checked routinely in a hospital in the sense that DNA testing, which is the best, most sensitive procedure for determining twin type is not routinely done. That would probably add extra expenses, although I think that the costs are coming down, it would be perfectly feasible. What doctors often do is they'll inspect the number of placenta. If there are two placenta, this does not tell you 
that these are necessarily fraternal twins because while all fraternal twins have two placenta, very early splitting identical twins do too, about one-third of identical split early. Similarly, if there's only one placenta, these can be identical twins or they could be fraternal twins whose placentas have fused. So these are really not foolproof methods. Now, if there have been certain placental arrangements such as twin-to-twin transfusion where identical twins develop mutual circulation systems in utero, that would tell you these are identical twins. But unless that happens, you might not know. Of course, when twins are male-female, you know for sure they're fraternal because of the sex difference. We'll take a short break now and be right back to continue our discussion on twins, siblings, and family relationships. The popular book, Raising a Successful Child, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Talents, by Sandra Burt and Linda Perlis is available at all major bookstores and on the web. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We are talking with Dr. Nancy Siegel about twins, siblings, and family relationships. I just think that identifying whether they're identical right away would be a huge security help. It would be excellent. It would be, I think, All families should know the twin type of their children because if there's a medical condition in one or one child is showing behavioral problems, you can then see what the probability is that the other twin might develop them as well. In this family in the Canary Islands, if they've been raised together and one developed leukemia, they could have kept a more careful watch over the other one, perhaps. Also, in the case of these identical twins who were separated at birth, the fact that they were identical is what allowed them to be reunited. I realized that if these had been fraternal twins, they probably would not have been confused for one another because they would have looked very different. And it was the confused identity that ultimately brought these twins together. So if you are switched at birth and you are identical, your chances of meeting your sister or brother are much higher than if you are fraternal. What did you learn from your interactions with the parents of the switched babies? That must have been a whole different kettle of fish. Oh, it was. And, you know, having a baby is such an important event in the life of a parent. And these were both first children in both families, very wanted children, planned children. And it was such a shock to the families to realize they'd been raising another baby. In the case of the mother who raised the twins, she said that she went absolutely crazy and she's been in therapy, as has the other mother. These are such profound events. Now, it shows also that where does the love of a parent for a child come from. It comes from the nurturance, from the care, because these mothers desperately loved the babies they were raised with. And in one of the cases, which I did not study directly, happened in Switzerland in the 1940s, where three babies, a pair of twins and a single boy, were all born on exactly the same night in a very, very small clinic that only has 12 babies. And in those days, in the 40s, they actually hung a little sign on the foot of the baby's bed. They were more careful in those days to identify chickens in farms. But at any rate, one of the tags must have fallen off and got switched. And so again, one mother went home with one of her twins and the unrelated boy. The other mother went home with one of the twins. That all came to light when the boys turned six or seven, and they all ended up at the same school. The judge in this small town decided to switch the boys back. Now, in my point of view, that was a mistake because by seven, These parents were desperately in love with all these children. And even though the mother of the twins was getting a familiar boy back, 
he wasn't familiar. He was not really her son for quite a while. And the other mother, even though she was getting her real biological son back, could not love him. She loved the other boy, and this boy ended up in a series of foster homes. So it's not always the case that when you make these switches back, it's going to go well. At the age of seven, children are so closely bonded. It was traumatic for everybody. This mother wrote a book called He Was Not My Son. And anybody interested in this topic should absolutely read this. You can't buy it in bookstores. You can only buy it online, and you'll pay more for the shipping than you will for the book. But He Was Not My Son is the most amazing account of this mother who started out just writing an ordinary baby biography and ended up losing one of her sons, gaining back another one, and how she never really came to terms with the loss of a boy that she loved. Based on the kinds of damage you discussed that resulted from the revelation of switching, how were the now-grown-up twins' senses of self-definition changed, and were they permanently affected? All three women were permanently affected, the twins and the unrelated woman, but in different ways and to different degrees. The twin who was raised alone said that she understood finally why nobody looked like her, why she was so different from her parents, why the usual adolescent mother-daughter tensions might have been much deeper than they were, and why she was never a bone marrow match to anyone in her family, why her two younger sisters got along so well, and why she was so much smarter than they were and never had to study. In the case of the alleged twins raised together, all their lives people said to them, how can you be twins? You look so different. But we all know that genes account for both similarities and differences within family members. So that was not really anything meaningful. But while they loved each other, they were so different. And one of them was a little more sophisticated, a little smarter than the other one. And they never understood each other when it came to issues or discussions, whereas the twin who met her twin for the first time said, we just get it. We understand. We have this intimacy and this understanding that really was there from the moment of meeting. Now, the unrelated girl, she said that all her life, she wondered why am I so different? And her mother would explain to her, your father has this intermarriage, (laughs) and so you look different. But but it bothered her all the time that she said she never cared about makeup or clothes, and all of her sisters did. She was just so profoundly different from them. And she finally had her answer. But when she learned that she was part of another family, she was caught between two worlds. The family she was raised with was more sophisticated than the family that gave birth to her. And so while she didn't feel quite up to the standards of her family, she felt way above the standards of the real family. And she said that her biological parents treated her like she was a child, wanting to show her off to new friends and family. And she said, they treated me like I was two years old. And I realized, of course, because you're a new child to them. So they want to show you to family. But of course, that's not something a 28-year-old is going to relish. And then the twin who was raised in the right family, she suddenly went from being a fraternal twin to an identical twin. She had to carefully balance her loyalties to her unrelated sister and the new twin and assure the unrelated sister that she still loved her and was a family member. She went through those profound kinds of tensions. So everyone's life was completely rewritten. These things, I don't think anyone ever gets over them. And that's true in the other cases that I mentioned, a case in Poland, a case in Puerto Rico, where two sets of twins were born a day apart, and they switched one member in each pair. So the two families went home with one of theirs and one of someone else's. Now, in that case, the babies were switched back at age two, and they have no recollection of having been raised in another family. 
But I will tell you that the parents suffered tremendously because they grew to love the babies they had raised. As a psychologist, Dr. Siegel, what kind of growth do you see as possible for siblings and family members who were denied a history of interaction with each other? I think they're all going to change, and they are going to grow, but I think not necessarily in positive ways, and this is what I mean by that. I think that anyone who goes through an experience of a baby switch is going to be hypersensitive in the future to any kind of medical procedure. They're going to question doctors if they have a prescription filled. Is that really my prescription? And did the pharmacy complete it properly? And if they go in for an ordinary assessment, do I really need this? The brothers and sisters of these twins also said that they want video cameras in the delivery rooms when they have their own babies. So you become hypervigilant about this. And I think you also begin to question, are things really the way they seem to be? After all, these families grew up thinking that this is my family. This is my child. This is my parent. This is my brother or sister. And in an instant, that was completely revised. So I think that they're going to be more skeptical, more questioning of things that happen. Now, that may be good in some ways. It may not be so good in other ways because it may be that their trust of other people and events and their understandings of things are going to be somewhat diminished and not as firm as they should be. We'll take a short break now and be right back to finish our discussion on twins, siblings, and family relationships. Parents' Perspective needs you, your feedback, your opinions, and not least, your donations that help with the cost of producing this award-winning program. Visit us online at www.parentsperspective.org and click on to Give Direct, iGive, or eBay at Mission Fish. Please help us continue to help you. Thank you. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We're talking with Dr. Nancy Siegel about twins, siblings, and family relationships. Dr. Siegel, could we ask you a personal question? Please go right ahead. We know that you are a twin, and so we're wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it is like to be a twin and how you came to this kind of research. Sure. I'm a fraternal twin. I have a sister named Anne who was born seven minutes after me and who looks nothing like me. Anne is four inches taller. She has curly hair. She's a different body build than I do. We're just very, very different. And growing up, I was fascinated with our differences because as a small child, I reasoned, we live in the same family, we have the same parents, we go to the same school. Why aren't we as alike as the twins who attend elementary school with me? And it was this difference I observed that really propelled my study into human behavior. And when I got to college, psychology was the perfect major for me. And when we got to the twin studies, I was madly in love with them. <laughs> I never enjoyed reading anything as much as this. And when I had to write a paper on some aspect of adjustment, I chose to write about whether or not you separate twins in school. And that was a big issue in our family. And I dealt with that in a professional way and in a personal way in that paper. My professor loved it, gave me an A. I was a senior. And off I went to the University of Chicago, knowing full well that twin research was my life. And it has been ever since. And what I love so much about it is that it's a very simple and elegant way 
of looking at the genetic and environmental influences on human behavior. So it's got this wonderful scientific side. But at the same time, it's got a personal side for me because I can connect so readily with the twins and with the family members. And I'm also intensely interested in the unique developmental aspects of being a twin. Most scientists will study one or the other, the genetic and environmental influences on behavior or the experience of being a twin. But I do both because I think that one feeds into the other. Mothers and fathers tell me what's important, what should I study in the laboratories. And I come across new and fascinating situations all the time. I'm studying Chinese twins raised apart from birth who are indirectly separated because of the one-child policy. And I'm studying virtual twins who are same-age, unrelated children raised together from birth. And these give us a pure estimate of environmental influence on behavior. And my most recent unusual kinship are look-alike people who are unrelated. And I've recently completed analysis of their personality similarity and can't speak too much about it because it's just been submitted for publication. But the point is that all these new and interesting topics come up all the time. And with the new molecular genetics, there's new things twins can tell us there too. So it's really been kind of a candy store, fun career for me. Is there any specific thing that stands out that you can talk about that's been particularly exciting? Probably the study that I've always enjoyed the most and which really led to how my career evolved was my doctoral dissertation at the University of Chicago, and it was entitled Cooperation, Competition, and Altruism Within Twin Sets, a Reappraisal. And what I did was I assembled a group of identical and fraternal twin children between the ages of 7 and 11, and I brought a puzzle to them. I mean, I did many things, but the key one was to bring a puzzle with the instruction, Solve It Together. This is an activity that children routinely do, and I wanted to see if the identicals would solve it in a more cooperative fashion than fraternals. And I made little movies of these. We used Super 8 in those days. And lo and behold, just what I expected, the identical twins, it was like a dance, a choreographed dance, the way they solved this puzzle, taking different portions of it, coming together beautifully. But the fraternal twins were much more variable, taking different bits of the puzzle to their side of the table, exchanging pieces in a kind of awkward fashion. And they took a lot longer to put the puzzle together, even though the kids were all age-matched and intellectual level. The way I decided to do a puzzle was that I was invited to a children's birthday party, and there were a set of twins there, and they were just fighting over this puzzle. And it made a very stark impression in my mind. And so I kept it in the back there. And when I did my dissertation, I thought this is the perfect task for these kids. And it really was wonderful. And the videos I made were just amazing, just amazing, because that told the whole story. Of course, we analyzed them very carefully for different behaviors, facial expressions, where the kids were sitting, where they were looking, how the puzzle pieces got distributed. But the idea of twin relationships is really what propelled my whole career. I've studied different aspects of it all along. What's the most important takeaway message from these dramatic situations you've cited that you would like to leave with parents? I think there are two important take-home messages. The first is that both genes and environments are important for human behavior. They explain the differences and the similarities among your children. And to the extent that you and your children may be alike, it's not the shared experiences, but it's the shared genes. And the environmental experiences that are important for you and your children are those that you have uniquely, apart from your family members. But I think the role of parenting is so important. Parents need to be vigilant and attentive to the different talents and interests and preference of their children and really promote those. And 
you know, people said to me, how would you define fair parenting? And I think fair parenting is when you are responsive. It doesn't mean treating children exactly the same. My parents did not treat us exactly the same. That would have been unfair parenting because we were very different kids. We wanted different things. And they were very, very good in that respect. I think the other take-home message from this work I've done on the Canary Islands and from my other twin research is that twinship is such an important bond that it's an intimacy and a trust that really goes beyond most other human relationships. And I think it's really one to be celebrated. I think that parents need to allow twins to enjoy the relationship. I think we're at a point now where people are so much in favor of promoting individual differences that they may cast the twinship aside a bit. But I know from my studies of twins who've lost a twin just how profoundly sad and grief-stricken they are and how they mostly never really get over it. So I think that we have to allow twins to enjoy that special relationship. It's one that they're really privileged to have. And for those twins who've lost a twin, it's just a very, very profound loss. Is there something special that you're working on now that's exciting to you? Yes, there's something very exciting and new that I'm working on now. I'm just finishing up a book that's coming out this year called Born Together, Reared Apart, the Landmark Minnesota Twin Study. And this is a very huge, very comprehensive compilation of all the methods, theories, findings, implications, and controversies of the famous Minnesota study of twins raised apart at the University of Minnesota, where I was very privileged to have taken part for nine years. It's a wonderful study. It's one that is over but yet still going on because so much of the data are still being analyzed. And I'm still in touch with many of the twins, and they've just been wonderful in the compilation of this book. It's a book for everyone. I've got the scientific side. I've got the human interest side and the bring-together side. So I think it's something that really everybody can enjoy. What resources would you suggest for our listeners who want to pursue further some of these issues? Well, of course, as an author, I'm going to promote my own books. They were mentioned in the beginning, but I'll say them briefly again. That was Entwined Lives, Indivisible by Two, Someone Else's Twin, and of course, the forthcoming Born Together, Reared Apart. I would really strongly urge parents to join the National Organization of Mothers of Twins Clubs, which have statewide and local organizations. I've been a speaker at many of these meetings, and the support, the information, really goes beyond what I think you can find in the books. They have wonderful clothing exchanges and equipment exchanges for parents raising twins who may not have the financial means. And just the support, the psychological support. Parents of twins understand that it's not just raising two children. It's raising two near and age children, or two same-age children, actually. And that's a very different situation than raising two children, even if they're only a year apart. Well, this has been a fascinating experience for us. So, Dr. Nancy Siegel, thank you very much for being with us today to help us understand more about the amazing lives of twins. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The best way to get in touch with Parents Perspective is to email us at parentsper, P-A-R-E-N-T-S-P-E-R, at gmail.com. Our first listener will receive an autographed copy of Dr. Siegel's book, Someone Else's Twin. Just email us at parentsper at gmail.com and give us your name and snail mail address and mention show number 500. Tell us if you can what station you're tuning into. Visit our website, www.parentsperspective.org, where you can even listen to a show of your choice from the 500 on the site. Or check us out at facebook.com slash parentsperspective.
This is Sandy Burt and Linda Perlis. We're glad you could share Parents' Perspective. Today's program was made possible with generous support from Linda Griggs and Norman and Helen Camero. Our sound engineer is Kent Hitchcock. Music for this program was composed and performed by Jonathan Burt. Music